Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito. I'm here today with Professor Pierce Keene from London and the Moorfields Eye Hospital. Pierce, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Uh, thank you, Car Carmen. It's a pleasure to, to speak to you again. You gave a very provocative talk at the angiogenesis meeting in Miami, uh, and, it, and really at the intersection of two extremely hot areas, artificial intelligence and geographic atrophy, macular disease. So can you give us a 35,000 foot view of what's going on in these two areas at their intersection from your point of view? So I think there's been so many advances in AI outside of healthcare. We've started to see them percolate into ophthalmology in the last few years. Uh, one of the things that we definitely know that we can do now is you use AI to do better automated quantification of disease features on eye scans, in particular OCT scans. So we can automate the process of segmenting OCTs in a much more accurate way than we could in the past. Now, one of the main areas where that has been focused on is in dry MD, and in particularly in geographic atrophy. So there's now a number of different AI systems that can quantify geographic atrophy on, on OCT volume scans. And they can do it that are do it in ways that are consistent with the CAM criteria uh, for assessing geographic atrophy. So they can break it down into different components like choroidal hypertransmission and photoreceptor loss and RP loss and so on. And so I guess what I wanted to to highlight is that we've now pub a number of groups have published a few interesting research papers, including from more fields and from myself and my collaborators. But where do we go from here? And how can we actually make this into something um, clinically meaningful? And I think that uh, there's a few ways of thinking of this. But one of the major forks is, does this need to be a medical device that actually directs clinical care? And with all the regulatory kind of uh, challenges associated with that, or are there impactful things that we could do in a research setting, even without regulatory approval? So maybe just having these AI systems would lead to better post-hoc analysis of clinical trial data, better structure function correlations, something like that. Or one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is could we use these systems to improve the feasibility planning for clinical trials or uh, improve pre-screening for clinical trials or even screening for clinical trials? And, you know, could that be a powerful use case that, um, that might not require regulatory approval in, depending on, on the exact setting that it's used? So that was uh, something that I, I talked about. But then the other big thing was I think that there's this real interest in using AI to do better predictive modeling. And this idea that we can better quantify OCT scans and then therefore better predict which patients with geographic atrophy are gonna rapidly progress. And therefore that could be something that helps um, recruit people into trials or therefore help in day-to-day -day life. And so in my talk, I described four recent papers from leading groups around the world, uh, you know, work from the AREDS2 
uh, OCT uh, sub-study from Nora Ladd and others, uh, work from uh, Roche Genentech from the la their lampalizumab trials, uh, work from Phil Rosenfeld and others uh, in, in uh, Florida, and work from uh, Ursula Schmitterfort in, um, in Austria. And so these are nice papers, but uh, I guess I really just wanted to say, uh, how do we know what the finish line is for this predictive modeling? Like, at what point do we say this is done, this is ready to now be implemented? Do we have a sense of what that looks like? And then the other, the other point that I wanted to, and you may have opinions on this as well, but is this something that is likely to be required for clinical care by payers? Which is to say, uh, you know, we have like we could have more licensed drugs for dry AMD, but will the payers require us to have some sort of analytic system that predicts progressors or does better measurements over time? Or will they simply say, you know, just go crazy, use it, use it as it stands? Because I think those are those are key things that we need to find out, and uh, the sooner the better. Well, with the PEG Cetica plan approval, it's wide open. Mm -hmm. You have a treatment interval of one to two months, and the clinical indication is geographic atrophy, no yeah. clinical characterization, OCT characterization, mm -hmm. or uh, fluorescine or mm. autofluorescent characterization. And yeah. we have no biomarkers. Yeah. And doing automated analysis of geographic atrophy is not really possible. In the clinical trials, the lesions were hand traced. Yeah, yeah. So my vision is a world in which artificial intelligence could drive quantitative characterization of geographic atrophy and its progression and whether or not therapeutic intervention is working. Mm. What do you think about that? But, but so what happens if we're just allowed to use these drugs and your average retina specialist in the, in the street, say for example, in the UK, there's no requirement upon them to actually um, quantify or track changes in this way, do you think people will that, that there in that scenario? Why would the imaging companies spend a lot of money to get a regulatory approved uh, AI tool that can do this quantification? Well, I think your sensitivity to the regulatory dimension here is really welcome, and but. I'm looking forward to the future because mm -hmm. we're going to be looking, I think, at anti-complement intervention at earlier stages of the disease. I think mm -hmm. uh, Phil Rosenfeld suggested, has really identified uh, how Drusen progressed to geographic atrophy in very early stages. And it's currently heading a clinical trial looking at an mm -hmm. agent for treating that. So I don't think we're going to change Pegsetica plan's treatment indication, but going forward, yeah. artificial intelligence may be very important. 
and looking at lar extremely large data sets. Yeah, but how do we, so I think one of the challenges though in our field is that we have a number of different groups all around the world developing these algorithms on relatively small data sets and with a relative lack of external validation of the models that they're producing. And how do we sort of, as a field, move forward where we can somehow kind of unify all of that work? Well, it would be good in future clinical trials, as you really alluded to, to look at a subgroup of the patients. And some of these clinical trials have been large. In the mm. Pegsetica plan trial, it was 1,200 mm. eyes. Mm. So some subgroup could have been analyzed with artificial intelligence. Now, manufacturers may be reluctant to undergo this, but I think that there's going to be a demand for from the clinical aspect, from clinicians and from regulatory authorities for some validation of therapeutic effect. Yeah. And yeah. from patients. <laughs> Well, maybe that's maybe that will be the key, the key thing. Patient needs, you know, our patients going to want to just use this if they have no sort of metric that shows that it's benefiting them. But the, perhaps the, not. The key question for you, as the expert, is: Will artificial intelligence be powerful enough to to do what we're alluding to? So I think that's another another really good point. So clearly, we can quantify now anything that a human expert can quantify. And we can do that in an automated, reliable fashion. But I think that there is a there's this hope that AI will somehow elucidate some kind of magical biomarkers that are hitherto unknown to us as a specialty. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I just even though I'm an advocate for AI and I'm super enthusiastic about it, it's a bit, it's a bit of a long shot, I can tell you, that we're gonna find something like that because the data sets that we have are still relatively small by comparison of the data sets that, we're, that AI is being exposed to outside healthcare, yes. where it's like everything on the internet, it's billions <laughs> and billions of words of text. And we're saying, well, we've got a big trial, it's like 2000 patients. It, it's small potatoes, actually, in some ways, uh, compared. Well, um, it's a very sober <laughs> analysis. And I, I mean, and I think it goes to your skill as an investigator that you're raising this mm. question as an enthusiast. Mm. So what I think, actually, the really cool use case is going to be is Imagine you have an AI system that can run on, imagine it can run on your um, fundus autofluorescence image database or a neuro CT database, whatever manufacturer that's from. And you simply get it, uh, it might be from a drug company, it might be from some other company that's, that's, uh, that's made it. And you could just run it in a batch form on your Heidelberg database, for example. And it would just it would just automatically over the course of maybe a couple of nights, it would just run on on hundreds of thousands or millions of OCT volumes and identify every patient that it thinks has geographic atrophy due to AMD 
And then it could be broken down into whether it's foveal or extrafoveal. It could even generate lesion size metrics. And then wouldn't that be amazing for clinical trial recruitment or for new drugs and things like that? Uh, rather than the approach that we have, at least in, in, in more fields, I, I don't know how it is in places you've worked, but uh, for clinical trials, we, we have like laminated pieces of card in the waiting rooms, or we have clinical trial recruiters who manually look through, look up the list of every patient that's coming to the clinic next week, and they, they manually spend ages, lots of time looking through or we try and get billing codes from the electronic health records that are like really, really noisy. You know, I just think that AI is going to identify the pe people that are suitable. And then if we see if the patients are still alive, and then we can offer them the chance to, to come into these trials. Yeah, recruitment is extraordinarily empirical. Yes. And, uh, and my, from my experience at, reading, at a reading center, the, there is tremendous heterogeneity in the eyes with geographic atrophy that are recruited. Yeah. And yeah. if we had some way of identifying the eyes that we would like to study the most, that yeah. would be a tremendous advance. Yeah. And I think what you're proposing is feasible. Yeah. In the short I, term. I think so. I think so. So, so what I'm saying is, let's think about what are the the short-term wins that AI could provide that could be potentially transformative to us. And if we happen to, along the way, discover some like new magical biomarker that we that a, that AI has allowed us to uncover that humans have never detected, then that's great. But I don't think that that should be the the the, the primary focus. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that geographic atrophy is going to be the subject of extensive investigation. It will be mm -hmm. the number one topic in the management of macular disease. It will yeah. surpass neovascular AMD in the amount of investigative power mm -hmm. in exercised. So I think that AI will play a, an important role in, in even in these early stages. I think what you're saying is fantastic, which is some small victories would be fantastic. Yeah. And I, and I mean, this is why I like talking to you as well, because for me, it's about going beyond just publishing a research paper. It's about actually getting this translated into something in our devices that actually brings benefits. Well, listen, this has been a great discussion and we look forward to coming back to you in, in a number of months to figure out what's going on. Thank you, Pierce. My pleasure.